The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Great, thank you. I'm happy to be back here with you and have the opportunity to continue to share a practice that has become at the center of my life and something that I found uh, invaluable and a great refuge and a great support. And uh, by the trust I have in mindfulness is, um, I, th- is I think, is unshakable. I, uh, the more challenging situations are, the more I find that Mindfulness will support me through it. And there are times when I don't know what to do or what to say. Or, but if I could show up and really be present for it, to bring my mindfulness to the situation, the whole situation, um, uh, which means both what's going on around me, and this, but also what's going on inside of me, that, um, that somehow the path opens up. Somehow I find my way and it creates a, a tremendous sense of safety to keep coming back to the mindfulness and mindfulness. It's, it's not the same thing as external safety, of course, but um, there is a kind of very profound form of safety that can come when we're really resting in awareness and really know how to pay careful attention to what's going on. <clears throat> so, um, thank you for being here. And... Um, <clears throat> So what we've done, what I've done over these days since the beginning is to offer you the basic foundation for mindfulness practice. And uh, the first days we're talking about mindfulness of breathing, then mindfulness of the body, of emotions, and then thinking. And um, and uh, that sequence often provides a very good uh, supportive sequence for people because um, if the mind is very busy, we have a lot of agitation, Breathing is, for many people, a calming uh, uh, focus for attention. And it creates stability so that the uh, more stable and focused we are, more we kind of are, get calm, the easier it is to be mindful. As we become more mindful, uh, uh, it's useful to open up to the body <clears throat> and continue that process of settling and really learning how to be in the present moment through the body, and the body's always in the present. And then emotions are an important part of us, and so we include that. And then thinking is an important part of our life. And, and learn how to have this meditative or mindful awareness of thinking that's, that's freeing and helpful to have rather than being caught in thoughts. This movement towards including more and more, expanding outwards, is meant to go uh, out in all directions, 360 degrees. So at some point, mindfulness includes our whole life. And it's not so much a technique, mindfulness then, but it's a way of being awake, being present for our life as it's lived, for our full experience. And I liken it to uh, turning on a light bulb. If you have a light bulb hanging in, from a ceiling in a, in a dark room, 
if you turn on the light bulb, it shines on everything on the room. Everything gets, gets lit up and gets revealed. And the, and the light from the light bulb uh, doesn't, is not selective, doesn't choose one thing over the other. Uh, it just, whatever the light lands on, it land, puts a light on equally on everything. So the same thing with this capa- human capacity of awareness, that uh, to think of awareness as having that quality of light where it just lands on or receives whatever is going on in our experience. In and of itself, just like light, awareness, the simplest form of knowing we can have, the simplest form of recognition of what's happening, uh, uh, receives or sees or recognizes everything um, equally and without preference or bias or um, uh, agendas. That doesn't mean that we are we don't we we've turned off our wisdom and our discernment of what we should say no to, what we say yes to, and making choices. But it's the foundation for making wise cho- choices to discover how to have this non-reactive, uh, non-conflictive awareness turned on, and to bring it to all aspects of our life. And in fact, one of the things that I, for me, that makes mindfulness or awareness practice sacred is the idea that uh, there's no outside. Everything's allowed to be included. Everything is included within it. As soon as we have some idea that we're not supposed to pay attention to that, that that's excluded from any, it has no value, no importance for the purposes of opening up and being aware, being awake, uh, then we've lost that uh, sacred or the holistic wholeness of, um, of life. And so this idea of uh, letting mindfulness become 360 degrees to include everything. And, uh, and it tends to come over time if you do the basic practice of mindfulness as I've been teaching and you learn how to be present and settled and composed on your breathing, on your body, your emotions and your thoughts. It tends to translate to starting to bring that kind of presence into the rest of our life. And... And, and, and bringing mindfulness and doing the same practice in daily life as you would do on the cushion um, uh, is one of the ways to the practice deepens and grows over time. The mindfulness doesn't, what I'm teaching you here, it doesn't have to be limited to meditation. It's equally valid in all aspects of our life and kind of, kind of another form of this 360 degrees of practice. In fact, um, what I've taught so far could also be seen as a as a, a very helpful way of checking in with yourself in daily life, to really che- you know like almost like a checklist. How am I? What's happening here? So you can be wiser and and more understanding of what's happening. So, for example, uh, you might if you find yourself with a few seconds, a minute, or of uh, some little free time, a little pause in something standing in line somewhere, sitting on the toilet some, for, a little, for a little bit, um, waiting for something, or just you have a little bit of time and you feel frazzled or feel not quite connected or feel upset or challenged in some way, uh, to spend a little time checking in and following the, che- the mindfulness checklist. So you might start with your breathing. Um, how is your breathing? Is your breathing contracted? Is it tight? Is it relaxed and easeful? Are you breathing mostly from the chest or mostly 
Is your belly moving in a relaxed way? Or is your belly tight and all the movement is happening in the upper chest? What's happening? Where are, what's happening with your breathing? And so sometimes just checking in and knowing your breathing and knowing what's happening. Are you breathing fast? Are you breathing slow? Is it smooth? Is it choppy? Uh, start seeing how we are because how we are uh, can often get translated or get expressed in our breathing. So it could be the first thing you check in with. And one of the reasons to start there, it's kind of like at the center of it all, the breathing is. And also because if you notice that you're contracted or held in your breathing, you can relax and soften perhaps. And that will change the whole mood. It kind of, kind of begins a process of resetting or coming into balance. Then for the next uh, check um, on the checklist is check in with your body. What's happening with your physical body? What are the sensations that are active and what's going on? It could be as, as uh, start with posture. Are you collapsed? Are you pulling back? Are you leaning forward, literally? Are you turning away from? How are you with your posture? Uh, is this a posture of presence? And there are postures which express attentiveness and presence and mindfulness uh, more than others. And it doesn't mean we get tense, or, but it's possible to kind of not collapse, not pull away, not turn away physically, and just be, um, create a posture of, you know, that's a little bit more balanced. Then deeper than the posture, are there tensions in the body? Are you tight or um, anywhere? Are the muscles uh, contracted? And sometimes for me, it's only when I check in with my body and feel the contraction, the tight, the swirling energy in different parts of my body that I, I recognize, oh, I'm actually feeling afraid or angry or I feel really f- f- relaxed and happy in this situation. I didn't know. It was so nice to be here. And so it's like through the body, there's a lot of information. And then in daily life, the next kind of uh, checkpoint is uh, how are you emotionally? How are you feeling right now? And if you've learned through the mindfulness meditation how to open to emotions, even difficult ones, with a non-reactive open awareness, feeling in your body, this is invaluable in daily life to give a little bit of time to really recognize and be with something rather than continuing to react with difficulties. The human tendency to react to uncomfortable emotions is almost subconscious. And uh, and we find ourselves kind of sometimes spiraling out because of the reactivity the, that we have. And um, But to learn how to bring a non-reactive awareness uh, to our emotional life when things are challenging can make all the difference in the world. It can bring balance, can bring a degree of non-reactivity, and allows us to be a little bit more choiceful about how what we say and what we do because we recognize uh, what's compelling us, the compulsions we have or the filter, the lens through which we're seeing. And then the fourth of these uh, checklists in the checklist is thinking. Uh, what's going on with your thoughts? Uh, not only what are you thinking about, but that's important to notice because sometimes it's the self-talk that we do that's the major source of problems. They say that depression, the major source of many people's depression, is self-talk, how we talk to ourselves. Certainly there are other reasons as well. And, um, but also fear. 
There can be self-talk that gets us into a tizzy around fear. And so just notice, what are we telling ourselves? And how accurate is it? Is it true? But more deeply uh, is not just looking at the story we're telling ourselves, but also to bring mindfulness to the process of thinking, the event of thinking, independent of the, the content. Is there a lot of energy? Is there a lot of contraction and tightness? Is it... Um, uh, is there emotions that are kind of fueling the thinking? Um, uh, is there tightness someplace? So all the instructions I've been giving you in these different uh, domains of mindfulness all can be done as a checklist in daily life. And now, for many people, this is a very stressful time, a lot of difficulties in life with um, the uh, coronavirus and work and maybe lockdown, all kinds of issues that come up. And, and for some of us, you know, some people, it's, now it's been a, a while now that we, our life has been turned upside down. And sometimes it's only after a period of time that something inside, sometimes it gets alarmed or feels like this is getting to be hard or this is, um, uh, you know, how long is this going to last? And patience begins to wear thin. Uh, so, you know, to have a tool in daily life, to do a, a good form of check, check-in for oneself. And then maybe be wiser and know how to take care of yourself better and, and uh, conduct yourself better is one of the things that can be done with mindfulness and bringing this into daily, into daily life. And, um, and this doing this kind of learning how to do this checklist and doing it somewhat quickly, uh, it can become second nature um, can be helpful even in meditation. Something comes up. Just go through the checklist and just check in so you know what's going on. And, and more when you know what's happening, then it can be easier to continue with the basic mindfulness of breathing and just settle in because then there aren't something which is subconscious or something going on inside of us which is a little bit off to the side that we're not paying attention to influencing us or pulling us away. We understand what's going on. And so then sometimes it's easier then to stay settled and focused and that. So um, let's do a meditation. <clears throat> and I'll start by uh, doing this checklist once very quickly at the beginning. And then we'll go through these steps together, not so much as a checklist the second time, but as a way of beginning to open the awareness up, keep opening it so it's inclusive of everything. And um, so... If you could then take a meditative posture, close your eyes, and to do the initial just uh, checklist, uh, just how is your breathing now? And it's, we're only doing a, ch- a check-in, so you don't have to fix anything or judge anything, but Just recognize, how's your breathing right now? Is your breathing comfortable or uncomfortable? Is your breathing easy or not so easy?
Are you breathing more from your chest than the belly? Or where's your chest or your torso contracted or tight? Where's the breathing held back, restricted? Are you breathing fast or slow? Both are fine, but it's nice to recognize how it is. Does your breathing feel deep? Or is it shallow? Both are fine, just recognize how it is. And then check in with your body. You might begin with your posture again. And are there subtle or not so subtle adjustments in your posture? That your posture will express a little bit more attentiveness, a stronger sense of presence. As if your whole body is calmly alert. And then checking in with how you're feeling, your emotions, your mood. And perhaps whatever it is, having an attitude of it's okay. For now, it's okay to be this way. For this kind of check-in, it's enough just to know, to allow and to know for now. And then to recognize what's happening in your mind with your thinking. To see if you can be relaxed around what's happening in your mind, your concerns, your thoughts. But recognize the process, the activity of thinking. Is it forceful or is it relaxed? Is it fast and furious? Is it slow and gentle? Are you in some way gripped by your concerns? Or are you more spacious noticing your thinking? Are there any emotions that seem related to your thinking, maybe as the fuel for them, the factory for them? So with that check-in, maybe a little bit more in touch with yourself than you were before, now we can begin the meditation. Allowing yourself to be the way you are. And in the middle of how you are, taking a few long, slow, deep breaths. Gently. 
gentle deep breaths. Feeling the stretching of the torso and shoulders as you breathe in deeply. And allow yourself to relax the shoulders and the torso as you exhale. And then letting your breathing return to normal. And taking a few moments to soften, relax any obvious places in your body. Often it can be the shoulders. Often enough it might be the bellies. Sometimes it can be in the face, on the eyes, forehead, jaw. So relaxing the body. And if it doesn't, re- any, if things don't relax, then it's more like a movement of softening around the tension. Recognizing it and making space for it. And then letting your breathing become the center of your experience. Let there be a contact between experience of breathing and your awareness of it, being conscious of it. the awareness to accompany your breathing and your breathing to accompany your your awareness
and then noticing, letting go of the breathing and noticing what are what is the strongest sensation or most compelling sensation in your body? gently bring a meditative awareness to the physical sensations if it's rather intense perhaps imagining you're breathing through those sensations So you're there attending to the sensations, but the breathing somehow is massaging it or helping you be present without being preoccupied by it. Just being, breathing. Broadening the awareness to in some simple way that's your way. Become aware of your whole body. Whatever way it appears for you.
and opening up wider to become aware of your emotions and how you're feeling. And maybe doing a little bit of non-reactive mindfulness of emotions. If you and perhaps in the middle of it all, where the scope and the range of awareness is your body and emotions, in the middle of it all, you're resting or centered on breathing, but ready to leave the breathing if something else becomes predominant. But breathing in the middle, in the midst of your body, in the midst of your emotions, just breathing, aware. And then becoming aware, opening up and including the world of thoughts and thinking. And and if they're strong or you feel particularly pulled into your thoughts, just spend a little bit of time turning on the light bulb of attention in the room of thinking. Just, it's all okay, just to know and to recognize in a relaxed way. And then to come back to your breathing. And now with breathing at the center. And then on the periphery, kind of like central vision and peripheral vision. Central vision is with your breathing. And the peripheral vision is open and relaxed to include, but not focus on. Your body, your emotions, thinking. If you let go of your thoughts, let go of your preoccupation with anything, let go back into breathing.
And then you can also open up the scope of awareness even wider to include the sounds that appear as you're sitting here. We generally don't interfere with sounds. Just allow the sounds to arise and to appear, come and go, whatever way they want. Some people will even relax more, like watching a river go by, by just listening to the sounds go by, come and go. Some stay and some arise and pass. And then kind of at the center of all things, with this, let yourself rest with the experience of breathing. And relaxing and letting the scope of the mind of awareness be broad and wide and inclusive of everything. But with the breathing at the center, Allow things to be at the periphery without being involved in the other things. Just you're involved with breathing. It's not a turning away or rejecting of anything. But giving preferential attention to just breathing in the middle of it. As if breathing is the heart of all things. It's connected to all things. And then if anything from the periphery 
enters the center, becomes compelling, you can let go of the breathing and let your awareness center itself on this, whatever it is that's compelling, as if this now has become temporarily the home for meditation. It's not a distraction, it's the place to bring a mindful attention. And then to end this sitting, if you can in a relaxed way, as if all things are okay, you can on your own go through the mindful checklist. And how are you now if you go through breathing, posture, body, emotions and thoughts, thinking?
And then to end the sitting, you can take some gentle deep breaths, feel your body, feel your chair, your cushion, and when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So when I started having a regular daily meditation practice many, many years ago, at some point as I, the meditation opened up for me and became valuable for me, I had a feeling of, of being settled, being peaceful, having a sense of wholeness or integrity that I had never really known in any consistent way in my life. And I was attracted to go sit in order to settle into that space again. And a lot of it was settling into it. It wasn't like I was trying, but it just as I stayed present, okay with all things, being with my breath, the tensions and the preoccupations in and, and, and life slowly began to settle. And as it settled, a different kind of vitality and wholeness tended to be present for me as I got calm something like that. And then one day, I was recognized that what I was valuing in meditation was not present in my daily life. And there was a real divide between having the sense of wholeness, integrity, uh, liveness in meditation. And I thought to myself, and what's happened the rest of my life, and I thought to myself that the line the divide between meditation and daily life is really an arbitrary line. It's just kind of a convention to say that there's two different modes of being. And I said, why, why don't I have this wholeness, this integrity, this sense of calm or peacefulness in the rest of my life as, as well? Why should I limit it just to meditation? And that question became kind of one of the driving questions for many years for practice for me was how to live this way, how to bring the attention, the mindfulness, the presence, the sense of wholeness uh, to the rest of my life. Or to say it differently, how not to lose, fragment, crush, forget the sense of presence and wholeness in daily life, but be able to maintain it in some way. So what that led to what for me was beginning to pay more attention to my daily life, to pay attention to what was happening as I was living my life in the present moment and bringing more mindfulness to my experience. And that was really kind of, so that, that decision, that movement was really a turning point for me. And it really began to allow this practice to begin fill my life, to become relevant in all aspects of my life. So what some people find sooner or later 
that they become interested in bringing this heightened attention of mindfulness into their regular life. And, um, and so they start applying it or practicing it there as well. It might not be with the same intensity or, or completeness or as, with much, as much continuity as in meditation, but begin uh, touching in to just being mindful and recognize, oh, that's what's happening. This is what's happening. Oh, I see. I see what's happening in my body. I see my breath. I see what's happening emotionally. Uh, I see that I'm lost in thought. What if I notice what's happening in the situation? Maybe I should be listening more to the person who's talking. I drifted away. And so to start kind of waking up in daily life and having a present moment awareness that that starts becoming richer or fills out the picture, brings out the three-dimensionality of our lived life, our lived experience. And um, so it's very satisfying for me when people start asking me, well, how do you apply this mindfulness in daily life? So there's all kinds of ways in which people learn to bring it into their regular life. And um, sometimes people will choose some daily life activities to be places where they're training themselves to be mindful more, to experiment with what it's like to be mindful and present and bring a high-quality present moment awareness to this activity. So it could be that um, you have a mundane, ordinary chore like sweeping the kitchen floor or uh, somehow involved cleaning the dishes and uh, whether washing them in the sink or putting them in a dishwasher or something. And maybe those times are times where it's just like, it's a medita- kind of like a meditation time where you decide that this is not the time to think about tomorrow or yesterday or be caught up in concerns. This is a time to have a heightened sense of mindful meditative presence to what we do. You might do it a little bit slower than usual. You might do it at the regular speed. But you kind of come back. Where is the, how am I in my posture? What's the breathing? What's the, what's, uh, what are the emotions? What's going on with my mind? Uh, bring yourself back from your bring yourself back from your preoccupations. A very important uh, time for me to do this was um, when I was living in the monastery and I was working as a prep cook cook in the kitchen. And I didn't particularly like chopping vegetables. I had to do lots and lots of them in the in the in the monastery. But I was very interested in being present for the experience, and so I started paying attention to how I was. And I saw how much my not wanting to do the chopping vegetables made me disconnect and pull away and and pay to think other things. And I made the practice of always like coming back to my breathing, coming back to chopping, coming back to chopping. And I learned over time to really just be there with the vegetables. Vegetables became my teachers because we just kind of one-pointed, just involved, just this. And I came to love chopping vegetables. It was just really great to have, to be present for chopping vegetables in the same way in which kind of I was doing for myself in meditation. Some people will do it uh, if they drive to work, if they do drive to work these days, uh, park maybe a little bit far away from the store, the factory, the office, or wherever you have to go, and, um, and do a walking meditation. Walk in a mindful way and have the walking be a place where this meditative awareness is waking up to what's happening in the moment. 
becomes more alive. Some people will choose, um, will, will have a mindfulness bell that reminds them to notice what's happening. Some people will get an, like an insight timer, an app you can get. You have a bell that goes off every hour on the hour. And when you hear that bell, you take 10 seconds, 15 seconds just to check in and be mindful and see what's going on. It can make a world of difference. You could also um, choose particular activities. Some people have chosen every time they turn on and off a light switch, that's a time to tune in and be attentive. I used uh, going through doors, door frames. Every time I went through a door, I was kind of going into a new space. It makes sense to pay attention. I would, every time I went through a door frame, was a time to check in, be mindful, wake up to what's happening in the present. And I went through, sometimes I went through a lot of door frames every day. And, and that was a wonderful way of kind of checking in and developing more momentum in the mindfulness. And, um, and uh, some people, it's, uh, I don't know how much people do this anymore, or <laughs> some people do, but uh, every time, it uh, used to be that every time the telephone would ring, I noticed I had a tendency to want to rush to get to the next, uh, you know, somehow get the answer as soon as I can, you know, in the first or second ring. And I learned that people don't hang up that quickly. So I'd let it ring five, six times. And during those rings, I would practice mindfulness. And my breathing, I would settle in uh, just very quickly, you know, just show up, wake up to what's happening. And I found when I did that, I had a much nicer presence for the phone call than if I ran over to get it as if I was going to lose something important. So bringing mindfulness in daily life and letting it develop and grow is a, is a feedback to meditating in, in uh, meditation, mindfulness in meditation. The more we become a habit and do it mindfulness in daily life, the more it supports us to do it in meditation. The more we learn it in meditation and do it, the more it supports us in daily life. And this wonderful reciprocity, it builds over time and grows. It's one way of growing the mindfulness. So I said I would take some questions today, and uh, so here in the last 10 minutes or so. And um, we have one more uh, lesson uh, tomorrow, and I look forward to kind of filling in and talking about how we can go deeper and um, in the practice, how it, you know, it really becomes a path to liberation and takes us much further than... Um, anyway, that's for tomorrow. But now, if you have any questions, uh, please... Um, so this person says, uh, Alfredo from Brazil, hi. I feel much more prepared for meditation after I practice yoga. What's your view on the preparation for sitting in meditation? Um, if you have time uh, to do preparation, so that's a great thing to do. Um, I did for a long time, I would do walking meditation before I would meditate. And uh, then I had a little bit more momentum, a little more concentration, a little bit meditative energy to sit down and really be here. And yoga can that too. Can do that too. Uh, other things can do it as well. Sometimes taking a little nap is, is good rather than falling asleep in meditation. Sometimes taking five, ten minutes to have a cup of tea and look out the window and just chill and let some of the initial kind of relaxing of the day or relaxing of attention happen before the meditation so you're not relying on meditation for that. Uh, it can be helpful. Meditation can go deeper. The little uh, uh, thing to be cautious around this 
uh, I think especially with someone doing yoga, is that it's very easy to re, uh, uh, have the attitude that you're supposed to be in a special state in order to do, uh, to do meditation. Or meditation is supposed to get you into a special state. Like you're supposed to be particularly calm or concentrated or supposed to do something. That can happen in meditation. It's nice. But the most radical way of practicing mindfulness uh, and the way that I think in the long term is most liberating is not to prioritize any particular meditative experience. Allow them to come and go as they do. But learn how to uh, practice a kind of accepting awareness and allowing awareness. Learn how to wake up with whatever your experience is. Don't feel like you always have to change your experience in order to be mindful. It's possible to be mindful without anything changing whatsoever. All we change is our attention, not the experience. In changing the attention, we learn to be free, even in difficult situations, uncomfortable situations. Thank you. So let's see um, if I can... um, The first five, ten minutes of... um, it's a little bit hard to follow these. If, let's see if I can. Okay. The first five, ten minutes of sitting are full of agitation and reasons not to meditate. Suggestions. That's to be expected. And uh, it's not uncommon for many activities. Like I, when I used to do run every day, the first few minutes was I was, my body would scream, Stop. And then after a while of running, it was effortless and I loved it. Um, but it was a, I just knew that not to listen to that voice that says stop when I was doing running. Same thing with meditation. So it might be you just have the wisdom to know that you don't listen to those voices and uh, that are giving you reasons. All the lawyers of the mind will come up and say, well, you have to stop. And you don't listen to them. Uh, the mind has all kinds of tricks to get you to stop meditating um, uh, I once many years ago someone said they were meditating and um, they felt this they had to it was essential it was like the most important thing to do was to stop to meditate to go and defrost the freezer so you know is that really so essential but you know there's all these pulls and sometimes all we have to do is forbear sometimes be patient one of the first lessons of meditation is to learn to be patient with it all and um, and not give in to some of these other these instincts or these pulls to stop. Have agitation the first ten minutes. It's fine. Then the task is to learn how to be relaxed about being agitated. And we do mindfulness of agitation. Do the mindful checklist, not to get rid of the agitation, but just see how agitation really feels and is experienced and what's it like. And like you're going to become a world class expert in what agitation is like. And chances are, if you kind of really just have that kind of interest and attention to it, probably the agitation will lessen uh, sooner than 10 minutes. Um, Here's a beginner's, perhaps foolish question. Uh, Generally, there's no foolish questions uh, when it comes to meditation. Does nirvana exist? What is it? Should we look for it is the same thing as enlightenment. Uh, in our tradition, the Theravadan tradition, enlightenment and nirvana are generally considered to be the same. Uh, we call it nibbana. It's the same thing as nirvana. 
and um, it's a uh, it's a radical letting go or dissolving of every form of clinging, attachment, and craving a person can have, and that's certainly possible. That, uh, but it's not a thing. Nirvana is not a thing. So instead, does it exist? It kind of exists. It's a radical absence of clinging, a radical absence of any form of attachment. And so that absence is, for some people, the most, one of the most important and valuable and enlightening things they ever experience. Um, it's not exactly a thing. Um, so does it exist? Does it not exist? Uh, it's a little bit difficult to say as a radical absence. Um, but it counts. And it's uh, for people who have this experience of radical release and freedom from attachment, it's, um, it's a life changer and brings up a lot of peace and happiness. Um, and since it's a beginner's question, don't look for it. Uh, let it come. Let it, let it come in its own time. Uh, uh, don't be in a hurry. It's really better to be a tortoise when it comes for the path of this mindfulness. Don't be in a hurry to get anywhere. Don't try to attain something. Don't try to get to nirvana. Don't try to get to enlightened. Just try to really do the practice sincerely. And if you do the mindfulness practice sincerely, really learn to settle into it and be sincere in how you show up here and now for this experience, for the time being, it'll be almost as good as being enlightened. Sometimes I disappear briefly. Is this mindfulness or mindlessness? Should I encourage it? Am I drifting? Yeah, sometimes it can be all those things. I don't know uh, why you disappear. Sometimes when the mind becomes very still and quiet, the, the self-talk and the concepts and ideas by which we kind of create ourselves, construct ourselves, fall away. And there's a wonderful feeling of absence, wonderful feeling of me, myself, and mine not here. And generally that can be a very refreshing time, um, in which case it's... I'd be happy and let it let it uh, be instructive and nice and realize that it's you, you're safe and it's actually quite wonderful that uh, to in a certain kind of way to disappear briefly. If you find yourself um, tired, distracted, agitated, um, dull, um, you don't feel any refreshment, any sense of kind of wonderfulness of that disappearing then it could be that you're just lost in thought and daydreaming and, uh, or you've kind of just gone numb or gone blank for a little bit, which can happen sometimes when there's a lot of difficulties and emotional difficulties that are hard to touch into and be with. Um, none of this is wrong, but it's, just, uh, it's all just one more thing to be aware of, one more thing to be aware of. Okay, let's see. How does mindfulness meditation fit in with grief? Sometimes the grief and sadness feels too overwhelming to sit with. Yes, absolutely. And um, so if it feels too overwhelming to sit with, then uh, you have the op- always have the option to do something else about it. Sometimes other things are useful. I find going for a long walks for me is useful for really these difficult emotions. It allows kind of the emotion... I find it easier to be mindful in a good way 
of the difficult emotions and by walking because the, it kind of gives some freedom to the energy, the sensations, the feelings of the emotion to course through my body when I'm walking. And uh, I let my mind just think what it does. But I try to come back and just check in, check in, make room for it. I try to be present, but when I'm walking, it's not like the stakes are not as high as meditation or something. And so it's just kind of a freer and easier way to go. The body's helping, grounding, and supportive. So that's all, all, also an option. Another option is, in fact, to bring more mindfulness to the grief and the sadness. And to see this as an opportunity to learn a different relationship to grief, grief and sadness than we normally have. have. So, for example, um, uh, sometimes when people feel grief and feel sadness, there can be a very strong identification to it or a very strong attitude with it that this is unfortunate, poor me, this is too much, this is, why is this happening to me? Uh, I'll never never overcome it, this is forever, this is uh, too difficult for me. All these thoughts and attitudes come in, which kind of make it, they're extra. They're not the grief themselves, they are how we're relating to the grief. And, and, um, And this difference between a simple or a pure, but difficult emotion for what it is in and of itself versus how we're relating to it is one of the really important ways in which we tease apart. Remember the RAFT acronym? We're teasing apart so that the thoughts about something, the attitude towards something is different than the something. And, um, And so there is something that, to quote Charlie Brown, good grief. There is good grief. There is a way, grief is a completely normal and even healthy human emotion to have. So is sadness. It's not a mistake to feel these things. It might be part of the heart's movement towards healing, movement back to wholesome, wholesome being whole. It might be part of the very important process by which we, we come to balance, we learn, we grow, we develop. It might even be an important part of how we honor or respect the profundity of what's been lost, the profundity of what's happening to us. So grief doesn't have to be a problem or seen as a problem. And a lot of the way which is seen as a problem tends to be on the side of our relationship to it. What we've learned about grief from our society and our family, people tell us you should be over it by now. And uh, we're embarrassed by it or we're frightened by it or, you know, all kinds of, we're, we're, you know. So you might kind of use the mindfulness to see if you can distinguish between the simplicity of grief that can be quite strong uh, versus your relationship to it, your attitude towards your resistance to it, your fear of it. And, um, and if you can separate that those two out, then if it feels okay for you, then if you can come into your body and just relax and open up and let the grief and the sadness just kind of move through you freely. And if what that means is you start crying, uh, let yourself cry. Be mindful of, of, of tears. But the art of crying and letting the freedom of the grief to be there, that is really interesting to do that and valuable to do it in meditation where we take, this is where taking a good meditation posture where you sit upright and, and alert can be invaluable because the, a balanced upright posture 
can help us stay balanced in letting these energies move through us freely. Uh, and then we pay attention to our posture because some of the more unhelpful ways to be with these difficult emotions is to physically collapse, to kind of even physically kind of, oh no, and this is so hard, and, and kind of physically the posture kind of collapses. Um, uh, to do that is a little bit leaning into it, and, and if that kind of feeds it a little bit, there's something very powerful and very respectful of the emotion to not collapse or give into it that way, but keep the posture balanced and open, trusting the body and what happens in the body as the body goes through it. I'll do one more, and I appreciate very much these questions. It shows me that you're taking what's being taught here seriously and engaged. What is the relationship between emotion and compassion? It's a nice question, and I'm not completely, completely sure how to answer the question. Um, but this is what comes to mind, is that uh, compassion is both an emotion, emotion, and it's also a motivation. Uh, as an emotion, it involves some feeling of, uh, uh, even physical feeling, sensation, emotional sensations and feeling within us of empathy, of warmth, of, um, of love, of care, um, you know, kind of a tenderness. Uh, uh, for me, uh, a parental feeling, a uh, feeling of you know, wanting to care for a child, this parental feeling perhaps, that uh, feels kind of emotional because I can feel it even if there, sometimes in meditation I can feel a very sense, strong sense of compassion without even having thinking about someone or being in the presence of someone who's suffering. It's just kind of a sweet tenderness. Generally in Buddhism, we see emotion as uh, um, compassion, as an emotion that, um, or a feeling or an attitude that, uh, which does not have suffering as part of it. We're not weighed down by it. We're not constricted by it. It's not exactly... There is a discomfort with feeling the suffering of others. But as we feel that discomfort, that we're, you know, the empathy or something, uh, it, has a, it has a goodness to it. It feels good. It feels kind of nice. And then in addition to that kind of emotional quality, then there's also this motivation, this desire to um, alleviate that suffering desire that may that person not suffer that way, a wish that it could be different. Even if we can't do anything for the person because of the situation we're in, um, we uh, really wish the person become free. The more we open up to our emotional life in meditation, the more we learn that freedom and through mindfulness to be present and allow our emotions to flow through us and allow our emotional life to have us freedom within, within us, um, I believe the more we'll be capable of compassion, both because of the freedom that our emotions kind of move through us, but also because as we feel more fully, uh, we also feel more fully our compassion when that's there. And certainly my hope and my experience has been, and my hope is that all of us, as we do this mindfulness practice, that what will be born and awakened and strengthened in, in us is our capacity for compassion and for care. So thank you very much. I appreciate all of this and uh, 
we'll take time tomorrow as well at the end for questions and um, and hopefully uh, I hope I can answer all your questions and uh, tomorrow also I'll talk a little bit about um, how we might be able to continue this to the next level of this inter kind of course and and um, and uh, so I'll just some follow up will be tomorrow as well so thank you very much for now <laughs>